We're in our series called uh, You Make Me Crazy. Uh, how many of you have had a crazy maker relationship? Anybody had a crazy maker relationship? Okay, yeah, some of you are raising both hands. If you didn't raise your hand, that's why the person next to you brought you to church today. <laughs> there was a man uh, whose daughter said to him words that every father fears. She says, Dad, I found the man I want to marry. And he's coming over tomorrow so you can meet him. The dad thought, well, this will be interesting. So at 3 o'clock the next day, Larry knocks on the door, says, Hi, I'm Larry. I want to marry your daughter. The dad says, Larry, do you have a job? Do you have a way to make a living? Larry says, I don't have a job, but God will provide. The dad says, well, what about your assets? Do you have any money in the bank? Do you have any stocks, bonds, real estate? Larry says, sir, I don't have any money. I don't have any stocks, bonds, or real estate, but God will provide. The dad says, well, what are your goals? What, what's your ambition? What are your dreams? Where do you want to go in life? Larry said, sir, I, I don't have any goals, dreams, or ambition, but God will provide. Larry left. The dad's sitting there in a chair, traumatized. Wife comes in. She says, how'd it go with Larry? He says, well, I've got bad news and good news. She says, well, what's the bad news? He said, the bad news is he has no, uh, no job, no assets, no goals or ambitions. <laughs> she said, what in the world is the good news? He said, well, the good news is Larry thinks I'm God. Some of you have Larry's in your life. You know, it illustrates the core of the crazy maker relationship. Because in a crazy maker relationship, someone expects you to take on the responsibility that they should be responsible for. You know, they expect you to be God. Be God in my money. I've got financial problems. You solve them. Uh, be God in, in my personality. You know, I've got a strange personality, so you, ad- you adapt to me. Uh, be God in my failures. I've got a lot of problems, so you solve all my problems. Uh, be God in the fact that, that I can't get a job. I've got a low work ethic, so you find me a job. Uh, be God in my emotional issues. You know, I'm sad or depressed or grumpy or moody, so you make me happy. God never intended for you to be God for anyone else. God never intended for you to take responsibility for someone else's life. So here's a question as we begin. Right now, even even as I speak, uh, who's asking you to be God? Who's asking you to take care of their financial problems, to take care of their emotional problems, to solve their unhappiness? Who's demanding that you be responsible for them? Because the Bible says it it never works. And it says there's a better way. Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know, your heart is your inner person. It's the inner man, the inner woman. It's where your values, your emotions, your decisions, your thoughts, they're all in your heart. And so guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And if someone is making you crazy by expecting you to take care of their life, it's probably because you're not guarding your heart. So today we're going to help you learn how to do that. 
It starts with two elements that God designed for healthy relationships. Two elements that will keep a relationship in balance so it doesn't go crazy. The first element is grace. Grace. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you have received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. God has given you various gifts of grace, and you're to be a good steward, a good servant of those various gifts of grace. Now, grace comes to us in, in two forms. It comes vertically and it comes horizontally. It comes vertically from God, and it's extended horizontally to other people. First, grace comes in a vertical form. Uh, Vertical grace comes straight from God. It comes into our life when we read God's word. It comes into our life when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It comes into our life from Christ's spirit dwelling within me. That's the vertical form of grace. And then there's a horizontal grace that Peter's talking about here in this passage. And that's where we give and take to and from each other the various forms of grace that God has given to us. You know, grace is the fuel of healthy relationships. Relationships that have great grace are great relationships. Because when there is grace, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment, there's no separation. You know, when when there's judgment and condemnation, we just shut down, we pull away, the walls go up, the bridges draw up, masks go on. But when there's grace... We're open and vulnerable, and the relationship flows back and forth. That's what grace is all about in a relationship. Now, the second element balances grace, and that's truth. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, we speak the truth in love. Why? So that we can grow up to become mature in Christ. You know, truth spoken in love is what helps us mature. The truth you find in the Bible, the truth that a wise person will speak into your life, the truthful feedback that we give each other as friends. Now, here's a way to look at these two. Grace provides the safety that we need because relationships are tricky. Truth provides the structure we need. So you don't screw up your life and run your relationships into the ditch. Okay? Grace provides safety. Truth provides structure. And in a beautiful way, God integrates grace and truth together. You know, through grace, God says to you, I am on your side no matter what. And through truth, God says, this is the path. Stay on it. It takes grace and truth to be healthy. But, unfortunately, that balance of grace and truth doesn't always happen in our lives because we're broken. And so we have the reality of crazy-maker relationships. You know, they go wrong, they get off track, they they get out of whack. Now, there are two uh, common crazy-maker ways in relationships. The first one is when you have someone out of control. In Romans 13, 13, one of many verses about being out of control in the Bible, says, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. 
You know, when you've got somebody who's out of control in behavior and attitude, they're impulsive, they act out, they destroy relationships, they destroy people, they trample on grace, they take advantage of grace, and they won't listen to the truth. And the best example of an out-of-control relationship is an addict. And those of you who are in relationship with an addict, you get what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, an addict is imprisoned by something. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, food, gambling, behavior, shopping, something. Everything in their life centers around their addiction. And they trample on grace and they disregard truth because of it. Now what happens is, is you can start taking responsibility for their life. You can start taking responsibility for their addiction. And you begin to play the role of the parent. Now you may be a child, you may be their child, you, you may be their spouse, you may be a friend, but you take on the role of the parent and you try to fix them. You try to enable them. You try to rescue them. And we call that codependency. Codependency. You know what a codependent is? A codependent is a person that when they fall off a cliff, someone else's life flashes in front of their eyes. Okay? That's a codependent. That was a joke, by the way. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Everything gets out of balance when someone's life is out of control. It's horrible because they don't get any better, and when you're playing the role of the parent, you don't get any better. There's a guy, nicest guy in the world, but he's got a drinking problem. You know how, how we know he has a drinking problem? Because when he drinks, he gets drunk. Okay? Drinking plus getting drunk equals drinking problem. It's like math. Okay? He doesn't think he has a drinking problem. He thinks he has a girlfriend nagging me problem. If she just stopped nagging me, I could drink and be happy. So it's a crazy maker relationship. And she has a four-part strategy for this crazy maker relationship. Her first strategy is, is when he goes out drinking with his friends, she's the designated driver. She sits there, watches them get drunk, and then at the end of the night, drives them all home. Okay? Her second part of her strategy is, she leaves a lot of celebrate recovery material laying around on his coffee table. Because... You know, everything and everyone knows that addicts love to read celebrate recovery material, okay? <laughs> Especially when they're in denial. Okay? Third part of her strategy is is she texts him several times a day to see if he's drinking. It's it's nine o'clock, are you drinking? It's three o'clock, are you drinking? It's five o'clock, are you it's it's intervention by text. The fourth part of her strategy is, is when he lost his job due to his drinking, she paid his rent for months. How's that strategy working for her? It's not. She's miserable, and he's not changing. It's a crazy-maker relationship. Now, there's another kind of crazy-maker relationship, and that's when someone is controlling someone else. Okay? Someone is controlling someone else. They're trying to control you. Nobody should ever control you. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. One of the many benefits that came to us through Jesus' death on the cross was freedom. 
You know, the man just sang about it. Jesus died so we could be free to make choices. You are free to make choices over your relationships. You, you should have a voice. You should be free to choose what you eat and what you wear. You should be free to voice an opinion about where you go on vacation. You should be free to say, this is how I want to be respected. You should be free to say, this is how I will be loved. Christ died so we could have that kind of freedom. But there are people who don't want you to have that freedom. They want to control the details of your life. And so you go along to get along and you do it their way. Because if you voice your opinion, uh, they blow up. Now, you have to walk on eggshells around them. Now there are two kinds of controlling people. The first kind controls by anger. If you do it their way, everything's fine. You voice a different opinion, they get angry. They escalate, they blow up, they swear. They get violent. They control through anger. Now, the second type of controlling person doesn't get angry. They get hurt. They pout. They control not through the physical. They control through the emotional. It's like the man who was going on vacation with his wife and family, and this time he wasn't going to be able to see his mom because they were going to another part of the country. And so he called up his mom and he says, you know, we're taking the kids somewhere else this year, so we're not coming to your house. And after a long pause on the phone, the mom says, you know how long I was in labor with you? I carried you for nine months through the hottest summer on record, and you won't drive across four states to come see me? Okay. She's not controlling with anger. She's hurt. She's trying to control through emotion. Now, probably half of you would say, I get controlled by somebody who blows up and gets mad. The other half would say, I get controlled by someone who uh, controls by guilt. And the other half of you would say, I get controlled by both. Now, I know that's three halves, but this is crazy maker stuff, okay? It's crazy. And so whether you've got an out-of-control addict in your life or you've got somebody who's controlling you through anger or fear... Either way, you have a crazy maker relationship and God never intended for you to live like that. Never intended it. So this is where boundaries come in. And simply put, a boundary is like a property line around your house. You know, the property line, the boundary around your house says, this is my house, this is my plumbing, this is my electricity, that over there belongs to my neighbor. That's his plumbing. That's his electricity. If my plumbing breaks, I'm responsible to fix it. If my neighbor's plumbing breaks, I can go over and help, but ultimately, it's his responsibility to fix his plumbing. That's a property line. And remember, Proverbs 4 at the beginning said, guard your heart. Guarding your heart is like establishing a property line. It's a boundary that protects everything inside of your life. Now, there are two key aspects to healthy boundaries. The first one is we must learn to love others without enabling. We learn to love others without rescuing them. Because enabling and rescuing and fixing and codependency, those are not nearly the same as love. Okay? Genuine, authentic, biblical love is not enabling, fixing, rescuing, and being codependent. 
Love says, you know, I'm on your team, but I'm not going to fix all your problems. Now let's look at how this plays out biblically. In Galatians 6, 2 and 5, it says this. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Each one should carry their own load. Now the first time you read that, it sounds contradictory. And we're supposed to carry each other's burdens, and then everybody's supposed to carry their own load. So which is it? You know, am I supposed to carry everybody else's burden and carry my own load? That's too much. I can't do that. What's it mean? You look carefully at this verse, you realize that it uses two different words. It uses the word burden, and it uses the word load. And in the Greek, those are two very different words. The word for burden literally means a boulder. A boulder is a back-crushing burden that can't be carried alone. A, a, A boulder is too heavy a load for one person to carry. Here's a boulder. Cancer. Cancer is a burden that is too heavy for one person to carry alone. Here's a boulder, a death in the family. You know, the burden of grief is too heavy for one person to carry alone. Here's a boulder, divorce. Divorce is a burden that is too heavy for one person to carry alone. And so we need to come alongside one another and help each other carry the burdens. You know, God's Word instructs us that that we come along for a season and help people. You know, a boulder is not something that you carry around with you all the time. Okay? A boulder is something that you pick up together with other people to move it out of the way so you can get on with life. That's what a burden is. It's for a season to help people remove a barrier and obstruction from their life. Now, the word load in the Greek is actually the word knapsack. It's a military term for, the, for the, the knapsack that soldiers would carry that had their daily rations in it. Okay? So it, it, it's something that you would carry every day with you yourself. And, and what's in your knapsack? Well, it's just the normal, everyday routine of life. It's the chores, the errands, the disciplines of life that each person needs to do on their own. And life goes well when we help each other carry our boulders and burdens. And life goes poorly when we start picking up and trying to carry everybody's knapsack. It's not how it's designed. There are some things in life that each person is supposed to carry on their own. And there are some things in life that are too heavy for one person. There are boulders and there are knapsacks. We carry boulders together and each one of us carries our own knapsack. Now here's the question to ask if you're not sure if you're loving or enabling A very simple diagnostic question. You ask, is this something they should be doing for themselves? Okay? Getting a job, getting clean, getting sober, controlling their anger, paying their bills, raising their kids. You know, should they be doing this themselves? It's a knapsack. You let them carry it. That is loving without enabling. Second one is, we learn to confront in love. Jesus, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, privately. If they listen to you, you have won them over. See, in, in our relationships, when things start getting crazy, we need to tell each other the truth. 
Because I have blind spots, you have blind spots. The purpose of a relationship is to be able to say to one another, hey, 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 you missed a spot. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. You may not be aware of your tone of voice. You may not be aware of your odd behavior. You may not be aware how your actions are affecting the people around you. That's how we're supposed to love each other, by speaking the truth about those things to one another. You know, what you're saying to this person is, you're saying, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm, I'm not trying to judge you. I just want a better relationship. I want to, I want to better us. And so I've got to tell you the truth here because of us. And you confront each other in love. Now, when you love without enabling and, and when you uh, confront in love, you're actually being a steward of the relationship. It's about trying to make a healthy me, a healthy you, a healthier us. And you're being a steward of that relationship because God has something planned for you to do. And if you're pouring your life down the drain trying to fix, enable, or rescue someone who does not want to be fixed, enabled, or rescued, then you're wasting your time and energy on something God never planned for you to do. And you're missing out on what He wants you to do. It's about stewardship. And so I'm going to teach you today three very doable skills that you can use to deal with the crazy makers in your life. With the person who's out of control or with the person who's trying to control you. What do you do? First one, you start from a position of love. You start from the position of, I want this person to win. I want them to win in the biblical sense of the term. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. You know, God loved us when we were totally unlovable. God expects us to love each other, even though we're totally unlovable. And so you don't start off with an attitude of judgment. You don't start off, I'm going to fix them, I'm going to change them, I'm going to discipline them, I'm going to punish them. No. You start out with the attitude, I'm going to love them. And biblical love is doing for someone what is best for them in light of eternity. Okay? You know, love is doing for someone the things that will help them to become whole and healthy in Christ. It's not enabling their sin. You know, if someone asks you to you know, buy them a 12-pack, you, know, you, you don't buy them two because you really, really love them. No. Love is moving people to health and strength not enabling their weakness. Love doesn't lock people into their woundedness. Love helps them to move toward health. That's biblical love. Second to skill is you say no when it's best to say no. I mean, sometimes you need to say no. Jesus said to say no. Matthew 5, 37, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Often it's best to say no. Now, we're not trained to say no. We are trained to say yes, not no. But the word no is a good word. And Jesus says we need to say it. But what happens when you say no and they say, why not? Okay? You know, people who refuse to hear your no are trying to control you. You know, when, when you say no and they don't accept no, when they say why not, that's a control issue. 
So let me give you five magic words that you can say when they say, why not? Write these down. That doesn't work for me. That's why. Not being mean. It just doesn't work for me. It doesn't close the entire conversation. You know, your tone of voice just doesn't work for me. Are those hurtful words that you use? They don't work for me. Your inappropriate behavior, that doesn't work for me. I'm not being mean. That just doesn't work for me. And so the first skill is you start from a a position of love, biblical love. The second skill is you say no when it's best to say no. And then sometimes you've got to go beyond saying no to doing no. You've got to move to action, not just words. And so the third skill is, is you allow consequences if necessary. Proverbs 19.19, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you'll have to do it again. (laughs) There you go. A rageaholic uh, will will train you. They will train you so that if they want to get what they want to get, they'll just get mad and you'll give it to them. The Bible says don't do that. Don't enable them. There are certain people that disregard your words, that they disregard your vulnerability when you say, this hurts me. They they disregard warnings like, you know, this is not going to go well. They disregard anything you say. And what they demonstrate is, is I don't care about your words. Your words won't change me. The only thing that changes me is consequences. You know, crazy makers tell you, words don't count. A wise person would let words change them. But a crazy maker says, no, it's got to be the consequences. I'm not going to change. You know, just like a three-year-old needs consequences. You cannot reason with a three-year-old. Words mean nothing to a three-year-old. You know, Junior, stop hitting Sally on the head with that mallet. He does not get that, okay? So what do you do when he keeps hitting Sally on the head with the mallet? He doesn't listen to words. He gets consequences. There are a lot of 30-year-olds who are three-year-olds on the inside. And you think your words are going to help? No, they're asking for consequences. You know, if you continue this behavior, I'm leaving this conversation. If you continue this behavior, I'm not giving you any more money. If you keep acting like this, I'm not covering for you with your boss. If you keep making bad decisions, I'm not helping. This doesn't work for me. You know, it's gone beyond words and it moves to consequences. You're going to be lazy and not work? I'm not paying your bills. You lose your license? I'm not driving you around. You lose your temper and act out? I'm not paying the bail. You act badly? You suffer the consequences. It's not that you inflict consequences. You just allow them to experience, to suffer the consequences of their action. You're not judging. You're not punishing You're just not enabling them. You're not breaking their fall. Those are the tools. You start with love. You say no when it's best. And you allow them to experience the consequences. Now those are not easy to do. They're simple. They're effective. But they're not easy. 
But if you will develop those skills, your crazy maker relationships will get better and they will move toward health. Because here's the point of boundaries. This is the point of boundaries. There is hope for a great relationship. You know, boundaries aren't about destroying relationships. Boundaries are about hope, the hope of restoration. Boundaries make crazy maker relationships sane. That's the goal. The point is restoration. 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. God is with you when you are working toward restoration. God wants to help you in this crazy maker relationship. And if you've got a crazy maker in your life right now and you're trying to heal them with a text, or, or you're trying to nag them out of their behavior, or you're enabling them, God says, no, no, no. God says, I'm on your team. I will give you the grace. I will give you the love to help you move them toward health. You know, God wants you to show love to them, and he'll give you the grace and love to do that. God wants you to learn how to say no when you need to, and God will give you the wisdom and the courage to say no when you need to. And God wants you to let them learn from their consequences. You are not their savior. You're not the one who needs to rescue them. They have a savior, Jesus Christ. That's where restoration happens. Let's pray together. God, we desperately need your grace and truth. Help us to recognize when someone is out of control. Help us to recognize when someone is trying to control us. And we need to learn to love without enabling. We need to learn to confront in love. God, help me to develop the skills to move my relationships toward health. Would you just pray, say, God, help me to start from a position of love. Help me to learn when to say no, when no is the best thing to say. And God, help me to allow the consequences when necessary so that my crazy maker relationships can be restored. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.